Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 17 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're presently reading in verse 5 of Revelation 1. And I'll read it again. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, we've been going through this verse, looking at each phrase, and we've come to the concluding statement of verse 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And uh, let's start with the word loved, agapeo, God loved us unto him, the eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, this uh, word love is in the past tense. It says that unto him that loved us, meaning the act or action of God's love in washing us from our sins, it's all one statement. The love of God is displayed or demonstrated as we were washed in the blood of Christ and our sins were cleansed. They were washed away. And so since God is moving John to write these things towards the end of the first century A.D., that's when the Bible was completed and Revelation is the last book of the Bible, we would have to say that both the cross of 33 AD and the point before the foundation of the world are in the past. So this verse by itself doesn't help us understand when that past action took place, but other verses do. And we'll look at that as well as this wonderful teaching of the Bible. Isn't this the best teaching that anything could ever teach us. Isn't this the most wonderful news that uh, we could find anywhere? This verse, as well as the whole Bible, is declaring that, yes, you are a sinner, because it says that we were washed from our sins, and that means we have sins. Yes, you're a sinner. You have transgressed the law of God you are a rebel and deserving of death, since the wages of sin is death. These things are true. You are guilty. You are condemned by the law of God. The law of God has pronounced a sentence of death against you. Certainly, you will die in your sins unless there is someone a Savior, and of course that can only be God, who takes your sin upon himself and pays the penalty in your place. And that is the news of the Bible. That is the uh, incredible news that Almighty God, who certainly has all sorts of things to occupy him, he he could be quite busy running the whole realm of his kingdom, which is 
incredibly vast and way beyond our ability to comprehend. He needn't concern himself with such a little thing, such a little matter as uh, a few beggarly sinners who have dared to transgress his wonderful and glorious law of God that have rebelled against him, shaken their fist in his face. He doesn't have to concern himself with us. He could simply uh, give the command that we are all to die and we would justly be killed. And that would be it. He could put out the rebellion or he could have at any point all through history and just ended this miserable world with these filthy and spiritually vile sinners, creatures gone astray that have rebelled against the Creator. God could have done that, but he did not. Instead, he determined, and and this was in the council of his person before this world was created. He knew all that would transpire, and so he determined that instead of just uh, wiping out the rebellion and and squashing in and destroying the sinner and this cursed creation, and then uh, moving on to all the many creations that he has created that have never sinned against him or disobeyed him in any way. God could have done that, but didn't. He determined rather to put forth a gospel plan, a salvation plan, to redeem these wretches, to redeem them by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God himself. And God would use this occasion of man's rebellion to illustrate, to show forth, to make manifest all of the wonderful and beautiful attributes of himself. And one of these attributes that God would put on display for all to see, all principalities and powers, for all that he intended for them to witness, would be the attribute of his love, his great love. God tells us about this love in that well-known Bible verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now here, God is highlighting his love, and his whole plan of salvation does this. It just shows forth how he is indeed love himself, that he is the essence of love. This is love for eternal God to empty himself of his glory and to take upon himself the sins of creatures. Yes, made in his image, but still just creatures, just created beings and creatures that have turned from the right way and have gone the wrong way, creatures worthy of death. And yet God would highlight the justice of his word, the righteousness of his law, 
as the law demands the wages of sin be paid and and death be the penalty. And, of course, God would not deny the law's demand, but he would make the payment by submitting himself to that law, and the Lord Jesus Christ would become the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed on behalf of these chosen individuals, these elect people, and he would die for them. And this death would take place before the world began. Notice here in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Now we saw in Revelation 1.5 that it said unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and both loved and washed were put in the past tense. Well, it could be said, since um, Revelation was being composed around the turn of the first century or the end of the first century, that it was written in the past tense because it was referring to 33 AD, and that was some decades earlier. But no, that's not why God is saying that unto him that loved us and washed us. He's not reverting back to 33 A.D., but he is reverting back to the point from the foundation of the world, before the world was created. And John 3.16 proves that, because Jesus was very much alive. He had not gone to the cross. He would not go for some time. He had not died. He had not risen from the dead. Yet in John 3.16, what does God say? For God so loved the world. Past tense. He has already loved the world. That, and, and now he'll explain in what manner he loved them, that he gave his only begotten son. Again, not that he gives in the present, but he gave as though the action has already been accomplished. And that's because it was. God had already given his only begotten son. And how was it that the son came to be known as the only begotten? It's because he rose from the dead, the first begotten of the dead, or the firstborn son of God. That's the point when the father had the son in that sense. It, it was via the resurrection of the dead. He was declared to be the son through the resurrection of the dead. And John 3.16 is already stating this has happened already. God so loved the world. Then this is pointing to eternity past, to that event which had already taken place. Now, even if we go from the first century A.D., we can go back to the Old Testament, and we find similar statements in the book of Malachi, for instance. In Malachi chapter 1, it says in verse 2, I have loved you, saith Jehovah. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith Jehovah? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. 
once again. This is written in the Old Testament a few hundred years before the coming of Christ. And God is already saying that he loved past tense Jacob. And yes, it's true of the individual Jacob uh, before they were born. God actually tells us, and Jacob and Esau were born in the year 2007 B.C. And God tells us in Romans, before either one was born, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And you can read that in Romans chapter 9. So that means over 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. God is already making the statement that he loved Jacob. But the love of God is conditional upon the Savior, upon the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God cannot love a sinner apart from Christ washing them in his blood and purging away their sin. There's, there's no way that God can love a sinner who has his sins upon him. Those sins must be paid for, or else the individual is certainly under the wrath of God. The fury and anger of God is upon him. It is not possible that God can love someone who is in their sins. And yet he says, Jacob, I have loved. I love Jacob past tense, before he was born, God loved him. And now, you see, we're we're going back further and further in time. Well, we don't need to stress this point too much longer. The, the Bible is clear. When the Lord Jesus Christ made payment for the sins of his people, let's just read one more passage in Isaiah chapter 53 where it says, of the coming Messiah. Yes, it does speak of the time when the Messiah, Christ, will make manifest what he had already finished, as the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Hebrews 4, verse 3 tells us. But notice in Isaiah 53 that many of the statements and much of the language is put in the past tense. It says in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Now, I could go on, but notice this. Let's just notice this, how God could have written this. For instance, in verse 3, where it says, He is despised and rejected of men. God could have said, He will be 
despised and rejected of men. Or, um, in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He will be wounded. He will be bruised for our iniquities, and so on. That would be the future tense. We would expect that. We would think that would be how God would write it if the payment for sin had not yet been made, if it was all uh, expectation and and hope that one day the Messiah will come and that he would be fulfilling these verses and making payment for the sins of his people, it should be couched in future terms. But it's not. It is placed in past tense in order to teach us don't look to the cross in 33 AD, but look into the past before the foundation of the world. That's where you'll find the lamb slain. And that's where the payment was made. The one and only payment for sin. And then Jesus came and and he made manifest what he had done. It tells us in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, For as much as ye know, that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. There it is again. God is telling us of the lamb and and the redemption that comes by his precious blood. And the statement is made, the declaration of God is made, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And then notice the last part of verse 20, but was manifest in these last times for you. And that is what Jesus did when he entered into the world. He made manifest. And the Bible tells us whatsoever does make manifest is light. Light shines in the darkness and reveals things. And and that helps us understand what to be made manifest means. It means something that is a mystery or veiled or hidden or unknown. The light of the word of God shines upon it and makes it known. And so Christ died for sin before the world began and that wasn't known. So he entered into the human race and he showed forth. He revealed exactly what he had done before time. This is the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read about it in the gospel accounts, all making manifest things that had long been done, long ago finished, before the world began. Well, um, let's um, look at the last part of The statement here in Revelation 1, verse 5, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
the blood of Christ. Many have um, certainly spoken uh, all sorts of of things about the blood of Christ. Rightly so, the the blood of Christ is that which really represents the life of Christ. As the life is in the blood, and Jesus gave His life for His people. He died for them, and He shed His blood. As the blood spilled from him, uh, yes, physically in 33 A.D. He he shed some blood, but more than that, it points to again. Uh, I'm sorry, we have to keep repeating it, but uh, it it must be stated. It, it points to the time before the world, from the foundation of the world. The Bible says when he died for sin. Now, did he? literally shed his blood at that point no we we don't have to think that but the blood represents the life of christ and so when he gave his life it was as though he gave up his blood or shed his blood we find in romans chapter 5 i'm going to turn over there in romans 5 beginning in verse 6 and through verse 9, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Christ's sacrifice has spiritually cleansed us from all sin. We are righteous, justified in God's sight forevermore. Our salvation is through his blood, that is, the giving of his life. And and now we are clean in the eyes of God. Let's just turn to one last place in Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read several verses here, 12 through 14 to begin with, where it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And here uh, animal sacrifices are mentioned but they never could wash away any sin. Actually, Hebrews 10, verse 4, tells us that, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. They could never cleanse anyone, no matter how many you sacrificed, a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million. You could shed the blood of all the animals in the earth, and it would not wash away the sins of one sinner. Because... We needed a man, and more than a man, we needed God, eternal, almighty, and able 
to bear the sins of another and to make the payment in full that the law demanded, which is death. And only Christ is able to do that. As it says here, through the eternal spirit, he offered himself without spot. He had no sins, no blemish of any kind. He was a pure and perfect sacrificial lamb of God. Well, then it goes on to say uh, in verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Animal sacrifice would not be sufficient. It, it There needed to be a better sacrifice, and that is Christ. Verse 24 of Hebrews 9, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. Jesus would be the sacrifice, but he would not need to offer himself often. He would only do it one time. And it goes on to say in verse 26, For then, that is if he offered himself as the high priest every year, must he often have suffered since, that's the Greek word apo, and it's actually better translated from, since or from the foundation of the world. Why does God point us back there again? He is telling us Jesus, if he would be like the high priest, would have to have suffered often since the foundation of the world. Meaning what? It's very obvious that at the foundation of the world was that one time that Christ offered up himself. And if he were like an earthly high priest, he would have to continually uh, offer up himself again and again down through history in time. But there's no need because he did offer himself once at the point of the foundation of the world. Goes on to say, in verse 26, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, here God is telling us once again that Christ made manifest what he had done. The word appeared is the identical Greek word translated as manifest in 1 Peter 1.20. But now once in the end of the world hath he made manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That is what he did in 33 AD was only a demonstration 
of the actual offering which took place from the foundation of the world. 